everybody, and welcome to this edition of the What's Next LinkedIn Live. And I have the pleasure of welcoming Darcy. Maureen is going to show up in a second, but I'm going to pull her out till she shows back up. But uh, I'm so thrilled to have Darcy and Maureen here today. They are the co-authors with Fred on the new book, Winning on Purpose, which I have to say was absolutely fantastic. And, you know, it's hard to read a lot of books that, you know, kind of come at you. But this one had me captured kind of at the get-go because net promoter score is something I think all of you are very familiar with. That was invented, I don't know, Darcy, how long has it been? 30 years or something? About 20 years ago. Okay, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago. And Fred, who is the uh, the Reichelt, which is the author as well on this book, invented it as part of Bain. And now he's a fellow there and doing all kinds of things. But I got the pleasure of having his co-authors, Darcy and Maureen, with me here today. So Darcy, thank you for joining us to bring us all this amazing wisdom as it relates to winning on purpose. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome, Tiffany. I'm delighted to be here. It's been, you know, so many people know about Net Promoter Score. It's in our lexicon as business leaders. Relatively few know that Bain and Company invented it. So I'm always uh, really chance to make that uh, make that connection. Wow, I, I have to say, well, I don't, I don't know if I put it all together early on. Oh, look what we got here. We got some Marine. She has made it. Welcome, Marine. No, <laughs> so we got it. Thank you. We're all. still figuring out technology after all this time. Okay. But thank That's you. okay. Thank you. No problem. So, Darcy, go ahead. You were talking about it being part of Bain, and I'd say I, I didn't. I probably didn't put it together right away. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. obviously, but I think as the net promoter score became more commonplace, I think then I kind of put it together. But mm -hmm. um, before we jump into the new book, I would love for either one of you to sort of set the stage on what net promoter score is, where it began, how it began, what got us here, either one of you. Well, I'll, I'll start us off and, and Maureen can, um, can add some additional context. So Almost uh, 25 years ago, Fred wrote the first book, The Loyalty Effect. It didn't yet introduce net promoter score, um, but it talked about this relationship that customers have with companies they do business with and that they're more valuable if they buy more, stay around and tell their friends. And this whole notion of loyalty was really coming to the fore of professional managers. And over the last 25 years, We've introduced first the net promoter score based on the would you recommend question. We empirically proven time and time again that those who give you a nine and 10 are worth significantly more than someone who gives you a lower score and that that is tied to a company's growth. And then we move from, okay, this is a great question. It's a great way to learn from customers to, all right, but how do you deploy that in a way that is going to inspire your frontline, tell you what to do to change, to serve more customer needs, and give you a sense of the inherent relationship and intimacy you have with your customers. And so that's in Winning on Purpose, the, the, the fifth book in the series is really thinking through, all right, how do we inspire CEOs to be bold leaders to encapsulate customer centricity into the way they run their business? And in this digital age, make sure that the humanity of their purpose is coming through for customers. Well, that was a lot. And and I would tell you that I think that when people, when I sort of toss out, oh, what's your NPS? And some people go, yeah. well, not everybody knows what that is. Like, could you give me a definition? I need to bottle up what you just said and remember it because I never do that good of a job. But I think what has also happened out of uh, NPS is there was a lot of confusion around it as well. 
And mm. so kind of the way you described it was very much in its, the intention behind it. But I think that there's been confusion on, I don't know, is it a measurement? Is it a target? And I think there's a lot to be said there. Either one of you, Maureen, how, why don't you jump in on this one? Uh-oh, Maureen no. went away. Okay, Darcy, go for it. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, it, it is, and we all get them, right? In a survey, you get asked, would you recommend this product, this brand um, to a friend or a colleague? And that response from a zero to 10 scale is then at the collection of responses is broiled down to a metric that says, what is your net promoter score as a company? So collectively, how many people do you have who are promoting your business? Minus the percentage of people who are not promoting your business are detractors. And that net score is what is called net promoter score. And I think it's half of the Fortune 1000 actively um, publish a self-reported net promoter score as evidence that they're doing right by their customers. So most companies use it as a tracking mechanism to say, how well are we doing for our customers? And the very best companies are tracking it vis-a-vis their competitors to make sure that they're actually winning in the market. And do you think that it created early on the wrong behaviors? You know, sometimes people get so fixated on the target um, and, and I don't know how to say this in the politically correct way, but to kind yeah. of game it a little bit, you know? 100%. And, okay. Yep. Just like, you know, that statistics don't lie, but statisticians do, right? Like <laughs> that is that is definitely true in net promoter score because when are you going to ask the question? Who are you going to ask it of? We all get the emails from our auto dealers that say, don't give me a one to six unless I have a chance to talk to you first, right? So Yes, we were open source about this amazing business insight to say this is the best way to gauge, this question is the best way to gauge your customer sentiment. And then many people immediately said, great, I have four responses for this frontline person. This is how I'm going to target them. Or this is how I'm going to bonus them off this target. Right. And we all know that's not statistically significant. Right. And it's taking the, the pleasure of learning, of getting feedback from customers from the frontline the minute you give them a target. And so we always say it is meant to be a learning tool, an insight tool, not a target and a metric in and of itself. And, you know, who do you think should be responsible? Because I can tell you, whenever I talk to executives about improving customer experience, let's just sit Mm -hmm. there for a second, right? Net Promoter, it tends to be one of the most common, if not the common, you know, metric that is used to say, are we improving our customer experience experience, right, in the journey of a pre-sale, a sale, a post-sale, a service experience, really anything, because it's right, that's just in time, I get the text. Literally, I've had it where I've checked in. I, I think I've just turned around from the desk, <laughs> oh, I get one. You know, you're like, my yes. God, I haven't even had a second to take four steps, right? Yes. But a lot of the time, I'm not saying this is the right question, and I'd love your opinion on it, is who owns it? Like, who's responsible for the, okay, what is our net promoter score? What's our strategy to improve it? And then, you know, so where does that usually fall on the ownership of, of NPS internally? I think the outcome, which is how, what is the relationship we have with our customers should be owned by the CEO and his, and his leadership team, right? It is the ultimate metric of the sustainability of your growth. And whether or not you've earned growth or you've gotten it in some other way. And we can all imagine scenarios where people get growth in, in, in ways that probably aren't sustainable. It's often the measurement system is often owned by folks in marketing or folks in customer insight because they're 
putting in a, a fulsome system that takes in the customer feedback, feeds it to the front line, and then looks for patterns that the company needs to respond to in some way to improve their, their service, their product, their relationship with the front line. Um, but in our mind, and the whole premise of the book is that winning on purpose is the number one purpose in any company is to serve customers and to serve them well. And, um, and so we fundamentally believe this is a board C-suite um, issue and opportunity uh, to grow their business. And I think beyond that, and I agree with you, I mean, I think it sits, usually, I usually hear the CMO saying, I'm responsible for setting the strategy. That's where I was kind of going on that. Like mm -hmm. I get, or the chief customer officer, which is kind mm -hmm. of a role that has popped up over the last yes. sort of five, six, seven years. Um, and the other thing I've found challenging is the individual contributor understanding how does my role every single day, day in and day out, like that phone call or that service ticket or that you know, mailer or that return label or whatever I do, how does that mm -hmm. individually impact that thing called NPS that I'm somehow also managed and measured on? Yeah. And I think the very best leaders are give their employees, their frontline, whether they're digital frontline, creating digital experiences or their physical frontline in some way, they give them the benefit of listening to customers and learning from customers and being thanked by customers when they serve them in the way they want to be served. And so that relationship, I think, at the at the coal face of serving customers needs to be informed by customer feedback. And again, holding people to a metric or a target just takes all of the humanity out of actually the relationship. And so we are we are regularly talk to companies and then really encourage our clients not to cascade down NPS as a metric, but it's really a learning system and an inspire inspiration system for people to learn from and to engage with customers. So I would tell you that that absolutely is not what I hear from people, right? <laughs> I know. So I'd say that to me, that is a big miss. Like, mm. and, 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 you know, I, I, I mean, I could, I could count on a thousand fingers and toes, you know, um, in my previous role prior to Salesforce, I was a research fellow at Gartner and we talked a lot mm -hmm. about customer experience, right? And we said, it's the new battleground. People are going to remember the experience longer than the price. We were, I was part of the team that made the prediction that the CMO would spend more on technology than the CIO. And of course, everyone was like, no way, never going to happen. And sure enough, right? Yeah. But through that conversation, NPS was always kind of at the cornerstone of it. But that's not how it gets described. I think that's a huge miss. I mean, if you were to go to a handful of executives and say, well, how do you use Net Promoter? They'd be like, well, that's what I'm measured on. That's what I'm bonused on. That's what I'm not. It's a learning tool and an inspiration tool. Like, that's not what I'd hear. If people are listening to this and go, okay, that's not how it works here either in my own organization, or they're going, listening and saying, that's not at all how I interpreted Net Promoter Score, what would you tell them to sort of get them from where they are today in using the tool as it's, it was intended, um, the system as it was intended, to where, you know, they 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 are today? How do they close that gap? Yeah, and, you know, we, we, we've talked a lot about, we introduced this metric to the world with the very best of intentions, right? To engage people in the learning, to gain the insights, to let customers have a real voice with the companies they do business with. And like all management systems, it gets broiled down to what, what's the thing I can actually measure. And look, measurement's incredibly important, right? It gives you a sense for how you're doing. It gives you a sense for how you're doing versus your competitors. Right. But 
true value is actually the feedback itself. What can you learn from what your customers are saying? And the very best um, feedback systems are more about the content than they are about the score. And we have a really well-honed approach to how do you use it in the best possible way, both for your frontline to learn um, individually and as teams so they can better serve customers. And as a company to say, there are some systemic things we got to fix because enough customers are telling us we need to fix it. And so it's really that mindset shift from this is something that's going to tell give me my score at the end of the quarter or the end of right. the year or two. I'm going to use this every single day to learn and to grow. And the very best companies, and there are many stories in the book, um, it's more stories than it is anything. So anyone who's daunted by a business book, it's, it's a really, it's a storytelling book. The, they start their C-level meetings with listening to customers. They start their day talking to customers is what the truly customer-centric CEOs and leadership teams do. They're not, they are obsessed with the metric because it gives them the best indicator, particularly if it's done properly, but they are thinking of it as a way to learn, to listen, and to act. Uh, and I love that. That's a simple action. Like start your day that way, you know, and, and uh, uh, in my book, I, I highlighted this one story, which I think you'll get a kick out of based on what you just said was the show undercover boss, right? If you've, okay. The first five minutes of the show, they have to disguise the executive yeah. so that they could go amongst the people. And I'm always like, what a waste of expensive television time. No one would recognize them anyway, because they never <laughs> leave their office. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like yes. they're not talking to their employees and they're definitely not talking to their customers, right? They're running the business from these metrics and these scorecards and these, you know, yes. et cetera. Well, we could talk about that all day long, but that's not what this is about. This is about winning on okay. purpose, um, which is really NPS 3.0. And I'd love mm -hmm. to talk about why, you know, Fred and you and Maureen thought it was now time to give it sort of a refresh. And yeah. I, I use that term loosely because I don't know if you would call it that, but let's go with NPS 3.0. Yeah. And it's an evolution, right? We're, we're learning. We're learning from the very best companies. We're learning as we work with our clients and we're observing the world. And I would say there's a couple of things that are the themes that made us say, how do we take this to the next level? Number one is just a real demise of financial capitalism, right? So we're moving on to stakeholderism in our mind, back to the winning on purpose. There's one purpose and that's to serve customers. And I believe that in this, you know, the demise of financial capital means people are actually looking for, right, well, then what's our reason for being if it's not to make money for our shareholders? And that is not to say that we can't. And in fact, what we've empirically proven in the, in the book time and time again from multiple different angles is that those, those companies that truly love their customers and act in the way we describe, they beat their competitors and they meet every market indices you could look at from a shareholder perspective. So these are not conflicting themes. But focusing on financial capitalism is often not the long-term strategy. Secondly, everyone is experiencing the great employee resignation, right? Like it's just impossible to keep great people. And what we've learned again from the very best companies is that when you empower your employees to serve customers well, you give them the benefit of feedback, they are inspired and they stay. Third, digital is changing, of course, everything. What's interesting about it is the algorithms amplify the good but they also amplify the bad and the right. ugly. So how do you make sure you're bringing humanity back into it? And then lastly, uh, what we call the crisis of disconnection, which is this idea that because we're doing so much digital, the only times we engage with humans is often when it's either going very badly and you really need the empathy and the energy from a human, 
or it's going really well and you want to say so. And so all those things made us look at the net promoter system as we always divide it and say, what's next and what can companies do differently? And there's a couple of themes from the book um, that I can highlight. Number one is being very clear as a company that your number one purpose is serving customers. And it sounds so simple, Tiffany, but, and, and you know, you worked for um, Salesforce for years, you know what that's like when it feels like it's part of the ethos and the CEO is really leading from the top, it makes an enormous difference. And we've got many stories of how CEOs did that and how they turned around companies, by the way, this isn't necessarily just a born this way um, opportunity. Number two is they figure out how to inspire teams and through that frontline feedback system, including the digital frontline, Three, they're always thinking about how to be even more remarkable. And the reason I use the word remarkable is because, of course, every market is moving right now and you got to think of new ways to serve customers. But remarkable means that your best customers who love you will tell other people. And which is the last point, which is how do you rally your promoters? How do you engage them in your, the community of, of the company, the customers that get served by a company? And so we really talk about next promoter system. 3.0 is taking each of those pieces together. And then the ultimate measure of that with the risk of introducing a new metric is what we call earned growth, which is essentially net revenue retention plus the new revenue that comes from customers that have been referred to you because we believe they will stay longer, buy more and tell even more people. And the multiplicative effect of that is what really creates sustainable growth that shareholders will get behind. Well, that was incredible. So if you're just joining us now, I am having the absolute pleasure of talking to Darcy Darnell, one of the co-authors of the new book, Winning on Purpose. Uh, and she just gave us a fantastic definition of NPS 3.0, which if I had to boil that all down, I, yeah. feel like it's, I feel like it's all redefining greatness. Like what does that look like, right? And redefining good to great, what that great is, if we're going to talk yes. a little bit about Jim's, Jim Collins, right? Good to great. Um, <laughs> And then redefining that greatness. Uh, and I would also say, because I, I'm still at Salesforce, that one of mm. our core tenants is customer success, right? It is all right. about the customer, right? And we have a CEO in Mark Benioff who is maniacal about that, no question, if you know anything about us. Mm -hmm. um, but but I would also say that it I feel like it's a, a becoming more of a moral compass as well. Yes. So redefining greatness and moral compass. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. 100%. We recently surveyed um, a group of executives and we said, what is your organization's primary purpose? The good news is, I think 10 years ago, over half the group would have said maximize value for shareholders. Yes. Now, today, still only 10% say to enrich the lives of our customers, which is probably lower than any of us would really like to see. But they do say, over half say, it's to provide a balanced value to all stakeholders, which already is a seismic shift away from, you know, my job is to make money for my shareholders. And so that it is, it is a movement, I think, that is happening. But a lot of people will say the right things. They'll have a purpose. They'll have a mission statement. It will also often be very lofty um, and very inspiring. But when the quarter comes, <laughs> and the management reports are written. Right. They struggle to make the right choices on behalf of customers. And I think the the great thing about the book is it does give some real tactical examples of like when people had to make hard choices. Am I going to? Um, I'll give you an example of a bank. Am I? Go, what, what's my insufficient fund fee strategy? How much of those fees am I comfortable levying against my customers who probably just plain forgot 
that they weren't, you know, they didn't make that payment today. So it's those kinds of trade-offs that is really inspiring about the book because it does, it's, you have to be bold to fight the financial capitalism and the quarter and the month and the metrics um, to do right by customers. Absolutely. Well, you know, there's something else I want to dig into, but I know that, as you said, your book is chock full of stories and which mm -hmm. were fantastic um, from businesses of all kinds. Is there one story that you could share that was really in, 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 in talking about this, right? That kind of turnaround. We used to look at it like this. We really started to use it to give us this redefining of greatness and kind of more of this moral compass that somebody who made that shift, anybody come to mind? Uh, well, I think T-Mobile is a great one. Um, so T-Mobile, we actually profiled in the last book um, over 10 years ago, um, The Ultimate Question 2.0. And what's interesting about T-Mobile is it was middling at best. It was at the bottom tier of the uh, the telco companies. And um, a new CEO, John Laguerre, came in and said, we need to break the mold. So he had this whole strategy about being the uncarrier. And if you remember back in the day, everybody was tied with a contract. Yes. And now that contract was super punishing. And he was like, we're done with contracts. We're, we're It's month by month. We're going to make it easy for our customers. We're going to go to um, plans that are that don't punish you for going a minute over or flying overseas or what all the you know all the different ways they used to surprise you with these fees you get the printout at the end of the month and be like how in the heck did that just happen <laughs> he completely turned it around and then interesting what he also did is over time is back to my point around being remarkable they constantly were thinking about ways to add value to their customers and so they had everything from free free um, music Tuesdays where you can download some songs back when songs used to cost us something. Um, so they were always thinking about different ways to continuously add value. Um, and so that was a real turnaround. And they, by the way, they've grown much faster than the market. Their NPS went from bottom of the barrel to leading and we track it um, regularly. This market is super interesting to see how it flows. They've just done an extraordinary job in the turnaround. Yeah. And the great part of that whole story is they are a big trailblazer of ours as well. So they are committed yeah. to, you know, use the technology uh, to help power a lot of that. But I think one of the things that tends to challenge companies today is this massive amount of data. So now we have NPS telling us one thing, right? And we have big mm. data in quotes, right? Telling us potentially something else and reconciling those two things. So back to your point, so you can make the right decisions for not only your business and your customers, but for the shareholders as well. So, you know, how do you tie and think about NPS with uh, with big data? Yeah, absolutely. And, and where most of our clients are going to, and we're working with them, is actually building predictive models around what do we expect the customer sentiment to be given the journey they are having. Because of course, we still want to ask the question because you get wonderful richness um, very regularly from customers. But you can actually now watch and see what's happening. And if they were on the website and then they called your call center and then the next day they called the call center and they actually didn't complete any transaction, that's probably not a great experience, right? Someone should reach out and talk to them about that. How many times did that happen? Why did it happen? So we call that journey orchestration. How do you pay attention to what is happening to customers in your digital environment and your physical environment, various companies put those things together. And how do you use the net promoter question to inform if people are in different tracks, how do they feel about that? Because then you can say, we're not gonna wait for a question and a response. We actually know what's happening to our customers today. And so that's how we see companies in the context of net promoter score and customer centricity, really using that to be proactive 
And then if things go badly, immediately figure out how to mitigate that experience. And I think, you know, it's just it everything we've just talked about, right? Rethinking NPS around striving for that greatness, using it as an inspiration and learning tool versus just a metric that is tied to people's bonuses, mm -hmm. uh, you know, using it alongside big data to get you to do different things. And then being bold and saying, look, we, we are going to be committed to using this appropriately means we may say, we're not going to charge cancellation fees and do what T-Mobile did and, and, and try to approach it um, in an unconventional way, yes. because if you're committed, you have to be committed to the long term, because I think also uh, lots of companies and lots of executives and lots of managers get into this short termism, right? If they make a decision today and they don't see the impact right away, they get off that train too early. And then, yes. you know, let's say they were six months in and, and, you know, it's a two year process, let's say, and they're six months in and they get off the train for sure, four or five months later, they're going to get back on the train and the two year clock starts again. Right. So, you know, how do you overcome that short term ism when it comes to committing to something like NPS? Committing to winning on purpose. Let me let me say that differently. So let me say winning on purpose. Yeah, well, I, I think there is there's obviously a conviction in and whether or not it's Chick-fil-A or it's Chewy or it's Warby Parker, or it's Peloton. It's the Four Seasons. You know, there's so many companies that it's just so part of their ethos. They just actually inherently don't question. But this is where I think earned growth analysis can really be helpful. Because when you really understand where the value of your company is coming from and the reasons people stay with you and the reasons they talk to your friends, you can actually, you get the feedback. You, get, you learn, okay, well, actually, when we did that, when we didn't sell that consumer's debt, which is what Discover never does. They never sell a consumer's debt. They work, help them work through it. And, or if it's chewy and, you know, it's very clear from the pattern of things I used to buy for my pet and I'm no longer buying it, that something bad happened. And I'm going to find out why. When you do things like that, that take the extra time and probably look like additional costs, but that person stays or they tell someone else how great you are the math overwhelms the short-termism. It just, I mean, I've seen it time and time again, and it is scary. Um, but I think that um, the very best companies actually understand the root causes for why people stay, why they tell their friends, why they leave, why they buy more, and then they're convinced. If they understand that customer value, they're making the right choice. Yeah, and I think it requires a beginner's mind, right? If you come at all the same problems with that fixed mindset or a growth mindset, whichever you prefer, yeah. uh, right? You know, beginner's mind, growth mindset, you know, whichever. Uh, you know, it's really about approaching a problem and not saying, I already know the answer because we tried it. It's, I, I actually am curious to find out what's happening. And mm -hmm. once you open that box, though, you can't close it back up, right? You kind of have to open it and be like, the good, the bad, the ugly, I'm willing to see it because once I know it, mm. I can start to make different kinds of decisions. And especially for an organization that is not comfortable, literally saying like, how do we love our customers better? Like, you know, that's going to be what we're going to, we're going to lead with love. We're going to yes. move beyond, right. And sometimes people get uncomfortable with saying, we're going to lead with love. What does that mean? Yeah, well, and when we talk about the golden rule, right? Serve others as you would like to be served or serve others the way they would like to be served. And when you bring it down to that level for folks, you know, we often talk, we talk a lot in the book about legacy and the CEO's legacy. What do they want to leave behind? What do, how do they want to treat others? And when you boil down business practices down to that, and this is what Discover said, Discover Financial said, a family member would never 
sell um, the bad debt of someone who's had a rough patch to someone else to be harassed four times a day with, through a dialer, right? They would figure out how to help that, that family member. And so it is, it gets to that very basic human um, condition of actually, I do want to help someone else. I want to make someone else's life better, not worse. And, you know, we're not afraid to talk about love uh, in the <laughs> company and the, the relationships that companies have with, uh, with their front line, with their employees and with their customers. Well, I think it's an amazing message. And, I, you know, I look forward to the book making its way to the world and people reading it and really stopping for a moment. And I bet there's going to be a lot of highlights and dog ears and sticky notes and comments and questions. So congratulations to you, Maureen and Fred, for writing such an amazing book, Winning on Purpose. And before we sort of wrap this up, please share with our listeners today where they can continue to learn more, continue to follow you and your work, uh, as well as Winning on Purpose. Yeah, I'd be delighted. Um, very simply, the website is netpromotersystem.com, bain.com, either of those, and then Winning on Purpose. All those places will get you to some great content. And of course, you can buy it on Amazon, the book itself on Amazon, many other places, as well as uh, we had a leading HBR article in the December, January issue of Harvard Business Review. So, oh, I'm just gonna pull, hold on. Hold on, hold on <laughs> you're gonna find that one too, you're so good. Hold on, hold on, got it in the stack. Hold on, hold on, hold on, whoa, yes, boom. Thank you, thank you. So it's, um, the, the heart of the book is there's also some really good stuff in that article as well. So there's no shortage of, of places to learn, but I'd probably point most folks at netpromotersystem.com. Well, great. Well, Darcy, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time and spending it with us today on the What's Next Live. My name is Tiffany Bova. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you again next time. Thank you, Darcy. Thank you, Tiffany.